Well, I call this meeting of the Advent Calendar House to order to discuss The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, a lovably bizarre 1985 Rankin-Bass stop-motion animated Christmas special that has won the hearts of at least several people, maybe even a few dozen, who knows. I am your host and Lord of the Sound Imps, Mike Westfall, and joining me for this gathering of immortals is returning guest and master beardsman of Blessed Are the Geek, Brandon Medley. Welcome back, Brandon. Hi, nice to be here. And a brand new guest, grand protector of movie novelizations from a whole slew of places, including Nerd Lunch, The Cult Film Club, Hellbent for Letterboxd, and his newest show, I Read Movies, it's Paxton Holly. Pax, welcome to the Advent Calendar House. Uh, thanks, Mike. I am happy to be here. Hey, Brandon, how's it going? Good. Nice to talk to you. Yes. <laughs> well, Brandon, you personally requested this special, noting it's quite trippy and so far removed in tone from most of the other Rankin-Bast fare. And a lot of that, I know, has to do with the source material. The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is based on a 1902 children's book by L. Frank Baum, author of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. But, Brandon, why don't you go briefly through your history with this story? Did you see the special first, or did you read the book first? I saw the special first. Um, I saw it as a kid, but I don't really remember seeing it for the first time. And But I know that when I saw it again, probably in college when it was first airing on, like, ABC Family or something, it was familiar to me, and I remembered it. Um, it came out in 1985, so I would have been pretty young like two yeah not like two i was two (laughs) um so i if i saw the original airing i don't remember that i don't know how many times like cbs or whoever aired this it did not become an annual classic obviously like rudolph or something so i don't know if i saw it there or on some home video release or where i saw it first um i did not read the book until i was a teacher um, probably it was my first or second year of teaching. I was looking for some kind of Christmas children's book. I teach special ed students. So a lot of times some of my students won't really grasp it until they see, see it. So I'd always pick books that had a movie or TV episode or something that we could watch after we finished the book. So I knew this had it. I had gotten the Warner archives DVD and I picked up the book, which I had never read before, but you know, according to the library, it's supposed to be like a fourth or fifth grade level book at the highest. And, um, it's n- not an easy read for probably any like modern child, <laughs> but especially students with intellectual disabilities who struggle with grasping non-concrete ideas. Um, it was a tough, it was a tough read oh, for myself, and definitely tough for my students. Um, I did not make that an annual tradition in the classroom. We stuck with best Christmas pageant ever instead. Oh, you know, that's probably a good choice. Pax, you're a big fan of the Wizard of Oz books and that whole universe. And I remember you reviewed this book a while back. What's your personal history with this story? Yeah, I, um, I'd always been a big fan of Baum and the Oz books. And I'd read Wizard of Oz several times. And then back in 2012, I decided to read all of Baum's Oz books, or 14 of them. 
And uh, I did it over the one year in, in 2012. And uh, <laughs> when I finished those, I decided to read a couple of his other books. And I had, I had been aware of the Santa Claus book that he wrote just from my research. So uh, I read it, and I was vaguely aware that there was a Rankin-Bass special. I didn't really know a lot about it because it didn't seem to air during the 25 Days of Christmas whenever I, I could never catch it. Um, I caught all the other it ones. Always, yeah. It always airs at like 6 a.m. on one Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's always some weird odd. Like, they put it somewhere where I always missed it, so I never caught it. And uh, But I read the book and then uh, tried to eventually – but I never saw the special. So when you when you asked me to do this one, I was pretty excited because I never actually got to watch it. Um, so I was happy to finally catch up with it. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I guess ABC Family and then Freeform decided, you, you know, only 20 people really want to watch this. So let's put it in a time that no one else is going to care about. Yep. And it's never listed on their schedule as the life and adventures of Santa Claus, or at least it used to not be. It would always be like one of the Saturdays they would start early in the morning. It would just say Rankin Bass Marathon or something like that. Oh, yeah. And it would be buried in there. And they would show like that and Christmas in July and Frosty's Winter Wonderland and a bunch of the more random ones. Okay. I saw the special first and went years without knowing it. It was based on a book. But this was one I... Must have caught in 1985. Uh, I would have been five years old at the time. But it ended up being on one of those VHS tapes where my parents will just tape random Christmas specials. And it's all just slapped on this eight-hour-long tape that I've had all through <laughs> childhood. So for me, it was an annual viewing. Yeah, we had tapes like that. Maybe that's where I saw it. <laughs> okay. But I watched this every year. And again, I didn't know it was based on a book and especially not the same guy behind The Wizard of Oz. So I thought it was just, well, this is Rankin Bass's, actually, it's their last stop motion production, holiday special or otherwise. This is the last thing they did in this style. And it was their last Christmas special for many, many years until 2001, they came out with one for Santa Baby starring Eartha Kitt. But that one's traditionally animated. So this is really the end of an era. And then I was in my 20s working at a Barnes & Noble, and I saw a copy of the book, and I was, it all just suddenly clicked. And before that, for a long time, I just thought, well, maybe it was just the end of their run, and they went kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. And when we started, I started, like, revisiting it and looking at, you know, Wikipedia and such about it. I didn't realize it was it came out in 1985. I would have thought it was the 70s. At yeah. the latest, you know, yeah, I'm I am right there with you. Brandon. It was. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked to see this was 1985 because in my head I'm watching this and I, I was thinking I was thinking 70s. Like this is yeah. this is like early Rankin Bass. This is not I mean, the end of the train, you know. Yeah. If you if, I mean, if you just think about other 80s primetime cartoons, special like it just the style definitely seems from another era. It does. Yeah, and this absolutely. was, yeah, this was one, it, it was produced in Japan like a lot of the other ones, but this was the very last one of them. And I thought maybe they branched out a little too far because this special opens with a pretty traditional scene of Santa flying his sleigh through the night sky. But then over the opening credits, we have this bizarre procession of the leaders of the immortals gathering. And it's set to this <laughs> very solemn, very low-pitched music that almost sounds like a funeral march. Like, okay, I don't know what is happening.
and it gets very, um, I don't know, I could see certain people watching this and thinking it's some kind of pagan (laughs) (laughs) film or something, it does not seem Christmassy when you're watching that opening. I guess, if you're like a parent watching this, you're just like, what is happening? We're turning this off now. I mean, I don't know, my parents never cared. I mean, yeah, yeah, you see why they shoehorn that Santa in to begin with, because this thing is not front-loaded with any kind of Christmas imagery at all. No, they're in the yeah. forest of Bursey. And is that, does the book go into a location of where this might be compared to any other place we might have heard? Yeah, uh, not, it really skirts, like, it. it's somewhere... I want to say the Laving Valley does turn out to be an area in uh, the North Pole. So, but the Bursey is okay. somewhere in that area as well because it's adjacent to it. But it doesn't make it very clear. Uh, Baum is notorious for being very, uh, you know, cagey about stuff like that, and he was like that in this book as well. Okay. Yeah, it's got the same um, problems of geography at most of these rankin bass specials have (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know if that was a rankin bass thing or if it's a bomb thing because i know he just yeah oz exists i'm not telling you where it is both it's over the rainbow it's a what yeah somewhere (laughs) somewhere over the aurora borealis aurora borealis (laughs) uh but this is how we meet the council of immortals called by the great ack master woodsman of the world in hopes of granting Santa Claus the mantle of immortality. At this point, he explains Santa's in his 60s or so when we open, and somehow Ack knows this is going to be his final sleigh ride before he's visited by the spirit of death. Is there anything in the source material that explains how we know that his time is so short, or is it just he's getting old? He's getting old. I mean, that that is pretty much what it is. Okay. Like, and the book is set up pretty much chronologically. Like, you don't have you don't have the council meeting until the end. Oh, um, it, it starts off with him being found, and um, Act gives him to the to the wood nymphs, and then they raise him, and then he goes out and starts his all. It's all chronological, and then at the end, uh, it is. He's getting old. I mean, he's he's been doing toys for a long time. He invents toys. I, I, right. I kind of like that idea, but then. Uh, he starts slowing down and he can't make his deliveries as much. And he's he falls in, you know, uh, I was going to say disrepair, but he's not a he's not a car. <laughs> um, he falls into getting sick and he's laying in bed. And that's when uh, Act goes to the council and then they have the whole council meeting. And that's towards the end of the book. So yeah, they, it's like they the kind very of, last chapter. Yeah. Um, so the book is also very episodic, like um, they do a better job in this of staying fairly faithful to it. But, you know, doing the framing device and kind of streamlining things, because if I remember correctly from reading the book, it's like one chapter is how the first toy was made. Yeah. How he came to the Laughing Valley. Oh, It's like each chapter is explaining one aspect of Santa's origin. Okay. So none of these people we meet in the opening credits, like the the queen of the water spirits or the lord of the sleep place, they're not important at all in in the book. It's just, hey, these people are here. Other than being the ruling immortals of the forest and helping Santa do what he needs to do, they really, no, they really don't have any other place in the story. Yeah, I mean, some of their names crop up at times in a few spots, but for the most part, no, they just show up at the end to give him immortality. All right. Kind of like this special, because for the most part, we never hear from or about a lot of these characters again. Right. 
it's just this huge major production during the opening credits, but I guess they just needed something to play over that song and and over the credits. And and they a lot of them show up in the middle of the book in the big battle. Like they show the, oh, the that's right. kind of shows the war and okay. it's a bigger part in the book not too much bigger but it's a little bigger and ack and and a couple of these guys show up and uh fight the bad guys and it, it's it's pretty neat so so i mean they have a kind of a role but they don't really not huge okay yeah but the the book to me at least reads you were compared to more well-known fantasy things. The book feels more like Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. whereas the special almost takes all those things and makes them much more serious seeming than they are in the book. <laughs> and it feels more like Lord of the Rings. You know? <laughs> That's what I was going to compare it to. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, especially if you're compared it to like the Rankin-Bass Lord of the Rings. That makes sense. And even like the drawings in the book and stuff, none of them look as, I don't know, Heavy metal, um, <laughs> as they do in the special. Yeah, no, they look like they were drawn in 1902. Yeah. Okay. Well, while we're taking roll, we'd better get into the voice cast, because there's a lot of familiar names and voices here, and almost all of them are connected to another big Rankin-Bass production that premiered in 1985, Thundercats. And my favorite is we have Earl Hammond as Santa Claus as an adult. And this might be my favorite Thundercats connection. He was the voice of Mumra. Ancient spirits of evil transform this decay form to Mumra. <laughs> yes, that's pretty awesome. I didn't pick that up as a kid, but coming back and watching this and knowing these names is just like... Wow, yep, Santa Claus sounds like Mumra. That's weird. <laughs> it kind of makes yeah. you wish he would have uh, Mumra'd out in the war. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Santa! Well, looks like it looks like in the special he wanted to, but he was stopped. He's like, nope, you're having no part of this. <laughs> you're not allowed. <laughs> and I did not realize that Rankin Bass was behind Thundercats until we were looking at this stuff today. Oh, yes. Um, I was never huge into Thundercats, but then it exp- you know, um, but I see that most of them were also in, on, in the voice cast of Silverhawk, right? Which I had the entire toy line of. <laughs> <laughs> see, Silverhawks is basically Thundercat. Was that Thundercats in space? Is that that one? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. And then they had. Uh, was there a third one that was very similar to that? This was a very big transition for Rankin Bass because they again this was their last Christmas special for years and years and then Thundercats was such a success and then they went on to try and duplicate that with Silverhawks and they did for a little bit and then they did the comic strip which was four little mini shows kind of like in the style of Saturday Supercade before that they had uh, Karate Cat was one of them and I feel oh Tiger Sharks was on there that's what oh yeah Tiger Sharks I remember But a lot of these same people, you know, a lot of these animation companies kind of like they like to have a troupe of voice actors that they keep around for different things. You hear a lot in Disney. You've certainly heard it a lot in Rankin Bass in the 60s and 70s. So this is the same in the 80s. But instead of a whole bunch of Christmas specials, we get this and Thundercats. Well, we'll dive in a little bit. We'll touch on Earl Hammond. Before this, he was he was Buck Rogers. He's been around since since the 50s. Uh, he was Monstar in Silverhawks, so that's that's two big bads, and then Santa Claus right before that. Yep. 
And then Lionel, Larry Kenny is here, but he has a very small role as the commander of the wind demons. Yeah, that that guy in this special is pretty awesome. I love that puppet. Oh, yeah. He's got a great kind of look. He's this that Just dark a, yeah, purplish that black and... I, his face kind of looks snowflake shaped. I guess it's just he's gotten blasted by the wind. <laughs> That's true. It does kind of have that snowflake. It's like, and it's got like twigs on it or something that gives it that. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. He's just kind of got like one big twig finger. Yeah. I wonder if it's maybe supposed to be kind of kite like. That's kind of why they did that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now that you put it that way. I like that theory. But he is the outlying questioner of the Council of Immortal. He's he's the juror number three who kind of only decides to vote in favor <laughs> until the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I found interesting about him that I did not know that the Lionel's daughter is Carrie Kinney Silver from Reno 911 in the state. Huh. Really? Huh. Yeah, that's what it, I picked out on his Wikipedia page. Um, I was a big Reno 911 fan, and she was my favorite character on there. Okay. Well, I think Larry Kenny did some voiceover for the state. Yeah, it says that he did some stuff on the state. Okay. Um, that explains a lot. A few other things, so. Okay. Larry Kenny is also the voice of uh, Karate Cat and that little bit, and then two serial mascots, Sonny the Cuckoo Bird and Count Chocula. <laughs> I saw that. And Bluegrass and Silverhawks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the cowboy. He was my favorite. <laughs> and then we have another monster serial mascot in the voice cast. Uh, the voice of Frankenberry, Bob McFadden is back, Brandon. Yeah, what did he do before? He, we uh, way back in the first Easter Rabbit, he was the snowballed Bruce. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, and he snarf on Thundercats. Here he is Tingler, which let's talk about him for a second. I was surprised to learn he's not in the book. Not. He is not in the book as uh, I was kind of surprised to see him. I'm like, who is this guy? Um, but yeah, uh, and I, I like the concept of him that he's kind of the he knows like all the languages of the forest. I think that's kind of a neat idea. He knows all the languages of the forest, and he says them, like, all in a string. He says, like, one thing in seven different languages. <laughs> all in one sentence. It's like... Four. Si, pronto, tu sweet. Hi. Dozo. Dojvidanya. Bueno, si, d'accord. Bye. And it was also a good creation because, Pax, you've read the book more recently than I have, but it gives Santa somebody to talk to. If I remember correctly, in the book, he's by himself most of the time. Yeah, there's him. The cat, the little cat Binky or Blinky is in the book. Blinky. Yeah. And he doesn't get companions, like actual companions he can talk to till the very end. Okay. Yeah. So, like, he's by himself and we're just relying on the he narration. He talks to himself a lot. He talks to himself a lot, if I remember correctly. I mean, he can't just talk to the lioness the whole time. Tingler is an original character, like Ricky Rouse and Monald Muck. And he fits right in. I'm, I was shocked that he was... Not in the book at all, but he reminds me of another character, and it might be mostly because of the name, but in the Legend of Zelda games, there's a character named Tingle, who's a 35-year-old man who believes he's a fairy, and he kind of dresses like him, and he's kind of got his nose, but did anybody else catch that? <laughs> no, but now that you mention it, I totally see that. Yeah. And, th and then he just, he reminded me of Michael Winslow from Police Academy, but... Yeah, the way he talked, yeah, he did come off like that. But he's a, Tinkler is a 100% Rankin-Bass character. That is a character you see in a lot of their shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he feels very familiar, even 
if you can't quite place your finger on it, he just definitely feels like a Rankin Bass character. Yeah. Well, up again, he was Snarf, and there's that. <laughs> He's very much a Snarf. Yeah. Uh, other Thundercats we have as Queen Zerline, we have Lynn Lipton, the voice of Chitara, and I think every other female in Thundercats, who's kind of uh, the great axe, not as mistress, but like they're right there living in the forest together. Right. Yeah, she had a couple lines. Um, not a lot to do. No, just needed a female voice in there for a few quick scenes. We have uh, the main bad, uh, King Agua is Earl Hyman, who was Panthro. Mm -hmm. And this is one I immediately picked up on. I don't know if I did as a kid, but as soon as I heard it out of his mouth, it's just like, kind of Panthro-y. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I was like, I know I've heard this guy's voice before, and I waited till after I saw it to look it up. And I, I didn't think Panthro at first. Um, the first thing that popped into my head was um, he's on The Cosby Show. Oh, yes. Um, he was Cliff's dad, if I remember yes. That is correct. That's where I, I knew him uh, from. And then I was like, oh, yeah, and that, that's Panthro. Like, so that came second to me. <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, my son, my three-year-old son, just I found this old DVD of like the, the old 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's starting to get into Ninja Turtles. And I found this old DVD of it. And then I hear the shredder. I'm like, I remember that that's James Avery, who was Uncle Phil in The Fresh Prince. <laughs> That's right. And it's been a while since I've heard his voice. It was just like, oh, man, I love that little connection. <laughs> uh, and then Tigra also makes it in in kind of a bigger role than some of the others. But Peter Newman is the, the voice actor, and he plays Peter Nook in this, who helps out Claws yeah. quite a bit more than some of the other immortal characters. Yeah. And he's the one, uh, I, if I remember correctly, it's his character in the book that winds up with Santa um, as his helper. Okay, yeah, he's a big helper in here. He's the one who eventually uh, lends him the reindeer to pull a yes. sleigh. Because Santa tries just logging it behind him and hoofing it. And he's like, that's not going to work, man. Yeah, <laughs> even I know that's not going to work, <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that when we get a little closer to the end. But uh, that's it for the Thundercats connection. The rest of the big players in this we have... Uh, a woman named Leslie Miller as the voice of Nasil, the wood nymph who adopts Claws as a baby. This is her only credit. She gets a whole song in this, and then we never hear from her career again. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't know if this is one of those cases where it's just like someone at Rankin Bass's daughter or wife or girlfriend or whatever, but that happens a lot with the kids. There's a bunch of no-name kids in there, uh, and then this one. But the other two, the great act we've mentioned a few times, he's Alfred Drake. He's mostly a stage actor who right. is best known as the Legion Oklahoma and Kiss Me Kate and their original Broadway casts. This special was his last performance in anything. I saw that, too. He's he is pretty great. Like, uh, I like the great act in the book. So I was wondering how he was going to come across in this special. That puppet they have. Fantastic. That is a fantastic looking puppet. And yeah, the uh, great act is my favorite part. The <laughs> same. Yeah. Like, as yeah, and, far as the and, character designs and, and Drake really comes across as very regal, and I like his voice for great act. Oh, yeah. He's got that commanding voice. This is one of two uh, Rankin Bass Christmas specials that doesn't really have a narrator, but I'm counting. At, like, the other one is Pinocchio's Christmas, which is garbage, and we're going to have to do that later. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of that one. But, oh, that it's 
It's about as trippy as this one, because that was 1980, I think. So those were, th- this is the tail end of all of that. But but I'm counting Ack as a narrator here, yeah. but just because yeah, they, now that you mentioned that they don't open the book with that last council story deciding his fate, that that comes near the end. They make that as a as a frame here in this special, so. And then our last voice, we kind of see Santa Claus grow up, and as a younger child, I was very surprised to find out that his voice was provided by J.D. Roth, the host of Funhouse and Fun Game House. Pro TV. Yes. <laughs> JD. Good old JD. He's doing something now. I forget. Like some reality show. He is the co-creator of The Biggest Loser. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. He's doing pretty well for himself right now. Yes. A native of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is very close to where I grew up in uh, the Blackwood, Clementon area. So I have that tiny, tiny connection to JD Roth. Cherish, cherish that connection. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> Maybe not every day, but I should start. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. We touched on it before. We uh, act begins telling the story of Santa Claus's life, beginning when he found him as a baby in the forest of Bursey, where no mortal human has ever ventured, uh, and leaves him with a lioness because now it's the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they Baum really Baum Baum. I can never remember how to say it. Really cribs from a lot of different stuff. He does that thing similar to C.S. Lewis that kind of bothers me in the Chronicle of Narnia where it's just borrowing, like putting all kinds of weird stuff together, like a lioness and nymphs and all this stuff. The nerd in me doesn't enjoy that part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with C.S. Lewis, it was just, you know, it's just him hanging out with all his buddies like Tolkien and that whole group and. And they just kind of influence each other. Yeah. And Tolkien, get, Tolkien used to give him shit about mixing in and all that stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I mean, that's what Baum likes to do. I mean, he's very fairy tale oriented, and he always is trying mm-hmm. to create a fairy tale type app of atmosphere. A lot of his books really kind of have that feel to him anyway. And, uh, I mean, I like that about it. I, I don't mind the uh, melting pot of stuff that he throws at the wall in here just to see what sticks. Um I, I agree, Brandon, from what you were saying. It is his style is kind of hard to read. You kind of, I like, have to be a little older to kind of appreciate it because it's yeah. it's not smooth. It's not very natural, but uh, I, I like I like the earnestness of it. I like his voice is very earnest and it's very like, you know, good always wins. And it's not it's cheesy, but he kind of makes it work uh, for the yeah. most part, and especially in some of his earlier stuff. So, uh, I, I don't mind it as much, but it, it is something you have to get used to. And what surprises me, I, the first chapter book I ever read, I was seven years old. It was the wizard of Oz. Oh, wow. It was like the straight up original one, like the con- children's illustrated classic condensed one or anything. And then I tried to go back and read some of the other Oz books probably 10 years or so ago and i was i could not get into them but i and then reading this one as well i'm like how did i read this at seven <laughs> and like all of it but i loved it then very yeah. carefully <laughs> yeah but ak explains to the other immortals in the forest basically hey i found a child one of them, and Nasil the wood nymph is like what's a child and they just don't even get into it with her it's just like nope you're an immortal you don't need to know anything you were never a baby 
yeah, you are never a baby. Yeah, it's even weirder than that because he's mansplaining what it, what they are. It's like we're we're immortals and we've never been babies, <laughs> so you wouldn't understand that. I was like, well, she should know all that. Why are you explaining all of that to her? Um, but but yeah, it, that whole thing is weird, and he busts out into that that weird little. 30 second song about never babies were we and I was just like, what? <laughs> Born in a present state never were babies we live where no mortal has been with a nobility of non-humanity I was a little disappointed. Usually Rankin Basses are uh, like their songs and stuff are a lot better. This one, it really, that's why I thought this was an early one. Cause they're, some of this production is not, not that great. No. And then she follows in with her song about the baby. And she's got this really weird line about like, she'll find room in her heart for him, but <laughs> maybe he won't take up too much space. Is it too Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just like, look, I got work to do. But immediately, immediately she goes looking for this baby. It's just like, I'm going to take this baby. Steals it. Yeah. Steals it. I mean, the lioness uh, named Shiegra just up and walks away for a second. And whoops, baby's gone. Yep. And then we see Peter Nook come back in. He's the master of the animals. Just reporting to act like Shiegra's beyond my control. I don't know what's up with her. And here Lucille comes in with, hey, I'm going to keep this baby. Is that all right with everybody? <laughs> We're good, right? Mm, no. <laughs> uh, and here Ack explains, like, no, it's the law. No mortal is allowed in this forest. And then Nasil kind of traps them. He's just like, well, the law is made by the great act. And you can just, just change the law, right? She's like, to which I, as a parent, would have been like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. But Queen Zerline pipes in right after and is like, oh, she got you. I'd say you were fairly trapped, Great Ack. No, he doesn't. You just tell her no. Yep. Give her back to the lioness for no reason. I don't know. But Ack decides that Nasil gets to keep the baby and the lioness will stay to protect them. And they decide to name him Claus, which in the language of our forest means little one. Little one, yep. Is that true to the book, too? Uh, kind of. Uh, they, they name, if I remember correctly in the book, they named him uh, Nick Claus, which meant something yeah. else. I don't think it meant okay. little one. I think it meant something else. But th this is kind of, yeah, what happened in the book. This this special, surprisingly, is is very faithful to the book. I mean, other than changing timelines on how some of this stuff happened. Um, other than that, like the events are pretty close. It's like a cliff note to the book. Oh, wow. Well, next we have just growing up montage with animals and a whole bunch of wood nips. Yeah. The music and then the, the Rankin Bass montage. It's kind of like, you know, uh, when there one in a uh, Rudolph where he's like, <laughs> like music's playing and he's playing, he's like getting ready for the games or something. It's like that is like the most traditional Rankin Bass montage uh, you could ever think of okay. in the Rudolph one. It was just a cut. And it was just like, Oh, by the way, he's a grown up now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Takes just like a sip from, from a pun. It was just like, Oh, now he's got full ancillary. Yep. Now he's there. And that's the case here, but you kind of see it in scenes. It's just like, I'm bouncing off a mushroom and now I'm taller. 
<laughs> now we're in J.D. Roth Santa. And I'm going to learn Finch language from Tingler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not French, Finch. To go, go back to what we were talking about, I was flipping through the book right now. Um, it is Neklos, which means Nestle's little one. Oh. Uh, hmm. But they spell okay. it N-E-C-L-A-U-S. Okay. Because it's close to Nicholas, so they're trying to tie that together. Yeah, and then later yeah. they're like, and some people mistakenly called him Nicholas. <laughs> oh, okay. Something like that. Ah, yeah. okay. Like I said, they try to, he tries to explain every little thing about Santa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And that was Queen Zerlene who, like, Nestle says, let him be called Claus, but that means little one. And then the Queen says, rather let him be called ne- Nicholas, but that means Nestle's little one. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So, sorry for derailing. No, no. De- derailings are welcome, because we'll get back on track very awkwardly right now. Uh, Ack... <laughs> And just as awkwardly, an act comes up and just like, come, Claus, I'm taking you out to the world to see the mortals. To see how bad yeah, these right? mortals have it. Like, let me just show you <laughs> how crappy the rest of your kind are. <laughs> Very quickly, we see young Claus say goodbye to Nasil, who just kind of randomly mentions, just like there's a word mortals use called mother, and I wish you would call me that. Call me mom. Which is a cute little yeah. scene. Yeah. I wish you would call me mom. Okay, lady. Even if it's just this once. <laughs> so they go out and kind of, it's very ghost of Christmas presenty where they go and see these scenes around the world of people being terrible. And are they time traveling or what time period is this supposed to be set in? Cause we see everything from like middle ages night to That's true, samurais <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, the special just says an age ago. Yeah. They didn't specify what age. Yeah, the the special makes it look like at least a little bit they're time traveling. The book is more like just traveling from city to city and seeing just how greedy and selfish humans are. Yeah. Uh, And I remember that from the book, and the special does it too. It just seems to front load how bad we are. And it's like, I, I feel like Ack should have been a little bit more judicious in what he showed uh, Santa. Okay, so so most of this is in the book, or at least the basic message of it. Like, first we have Squire Ruswell, slave-driving serfs, harvesting turnips, and one kid takes one, and he's like, put him back, and threatens to whip the kid. And then we go to the mansion of a rich family who's in charge of the squire, and like, he says, one little brat took one of my turnips and another one wants to learn how to read and write. And they're really laying it in thick. Yes. Yep. And that is how the book is, too. And OK, I, I, I can't remember if those specifically like I, I do remember the turnip thing. And I remember the Lord talking about it at the dinner table or the whatever meal they're eating. It's not very um and there was in the poverty like the kids begging on the streets mm-hmm. i remember a lot of that from the book and as you're reading it you're reading in the book it's happening longer so i'm like man i mean he's really cherry picking the worst things to show santa i mean i can see that being a bomb thing he, he seemed to be very big on women's suffrage which was a big issue at the time yeah and i think it was a girl who wanted to learn how to read and write in this particular scene so 
And then they go out of their way to show the two rich kids as, like, fatter and stuffing their faces. <laughs> stuffing their face. I noticed that. Oh, yeah. And, like, even their faces look fatter. Like, it's a completely different Rankin-Bass-style face. Yeah. That I've never seen before. It looked very similar. That kid's, actually, it looked very similar to, like, Burger Meister Meister Burger's face. Um, that little kid. He looked like a young yeah. Burger Meister Meister Burger. Oh, yeah. Recycling. Yes, totally. But that brings up the question, should rich kids get gifts? It does bring that up. I wonder that. Uh, and Santa, like, very, very quickly touches on it later. But at this point, he's still young and he's like, this being mortal stuff's not for me. And Act basically tells him, too bad, you're going to die. <laughs> they keep going on. We see the samurai kind of teaching each other how to fight and the teacher's kind of tough on them. Yep. This is kind of where Claus turns. He's just like... I want to see more. Show me more. I, I want to see where else life is horrible. Uh, and they go to see the homeless kids. And here's where X says that they depend on the generosity of others. And Klaus like, I want to help them. There must be something I can do. I like what he's trying to do. And I like, and the specials doing the same thing. I like that we're seeing different cultures. I like that we're seeing different things here. And, and it's not all like, you know, one type of thing over and over again, but it's like different. It looks like it's different countries. I mean, and I mean, that's kind of cool. I like that. I really feel like that they could have put in one or two. It's like, yeah, the, this is, it can get really bad, but Hey, you know what? There are some people that do do some good things. There are some people that yeah. are generous and, and we'll give these kids some food or crusts of bread because, that, yeah. because there is a capacity for us to be good. We just need a little help sometimes, you know, that I felt like that would have helped, you know, some of this and middle part. That, and that is in the in the book at the very end there's a part about how loving parents are the deputies of Santa Claus. Oh really? I forgot like, about that. Um yeah, he tries to explain like every aspect of Santa Claus and how he can do the things. And so like he says, like he'll make all make all loving parents my deputies and they shall help me do my work. Yeah. Um, so this way I can save time. I can just go to a few, few children. They meet the children who are more neglected by their parents. I can go visit them, and the ones who have good, loving parents, they can take care of the, giving them more presents. You know, okay. if I miss them or whatever. I might have to save that for when I have to explain it to my own kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's really clever on Bob's part. But yeah, I found it weird that acts says, you know, they depend on the generosity of others, and then we don't see the generosity of others. But Right. here, And they end with Claus asking, it's just like, what is man's use? Why do we exist? Because this seems pretty terrible. And Axe says to leave the world in some way better than he found it. And then he mentions to follow your star and bring a measure of joy to the world. And that five-second clip of a star is the only thing to, like, a traditional religious Christmas symbol we get. Yeah. That five second shot of a star. And we're back to the forest where Claus uh, bids goodbye to everybody, says, I'll never forget you, mother. We get a quick line from Peter Nook call upon us whenever you need us to assist you. And then we're off to the Laughing Valley of Ho Ha Ho. Ho Ho, which I thought that was kind of. Like, I, they tried to just make it a little off to make it seem more natural. I don't know. Is that what it's called in the book? I know yeah. it was called the Laughing Valley. I didn't remember Ho Ha Ho part oh, of it, okay. but it may be. Okay. It's actually called Ho Ha Ho in, in the special here, and there's a little 
kind of Field of Dreams chorus coming out. And I, I do remember in the book, or in the special, it's always winter there and there's snow, so they're trying to relate it to the North Pole. But that's not the case in the book, I don't believe? No. At least from my memory and from what Wikipedia said, that's not the case. Okay. That is not always winter. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's Rankin Bass just throwing and then there's like, we don't have a lot of Christmas stuff. They got about 20 minutes through this. They're like, we need something, guys. We there's need a snow. few things they've changed in here from the book, and that probably comes from the book, like the number of reindeer and the names of the reindeer and such. Um, like things that had not really been quite as cemented in pop culture as going with Santa when okay. in 1902 as they were by the 80s. Right. Well, I mean, we had Night Before Christmas had been around for decades since then. So we have the eight reindeer. But I think we only you're right. We only have the two with different names in the book. They don't even name them here. It's just like, hey, found some reindeer. Yeah. But I think he only has like maybe four in the book. Bomb has ten. Ten. Okay, he has ten, ten. and he, he named all ten of them. I actually have the list right here because I okay, thought I knew they're hilarious names. Number. I knew that when I was reading like the yeah. differences that they had. <laughs> oh, let's hear it. It's a different list. Yeah, because like like you said in 1902, like uh, Night Before Christmas and all that hadn't really taken hold yet. Rudolph hadn't even been invented yet. So uh, he came up with his own ten, and they are uh, and I, I'm two of them may have, I think I heard two of the names in the special, but I can't remember um, the fir- the main ones, which I think I heard in the were Glossy and Flossy, and then yeah. Racer and Pacer, and uh, Reckless and Speckless, <laughs> Fearless and Peerless, and Ready and Steady. And those are the ten reindeer that. Uh, Bomb used in his book. Okay. I always remember Glossy and Flossy. Yeah. Well, and I was I like ready and steady. I thought we were going to go. I yeah. remember them. Okay. Glossy and Flossy sound familiar. So, so this is 85. So I'm like, I'm really surprised what with the history of Rankin Bassett and the specials and everything that they didn't sort of try to incorporate the actual like, you know, Dasher and Dancer. Yeah. And maybe even Rudolph, you know, in a way. Like, they didn't even have to make it the main part, but just kind of throw in, you know, a little bit of them in there or something, you know? Well, I wrote down in my notes that, like, you could make an argument with the other Rankin Bass, the, the main level of specials at least, that there's some sort of continuity with the characters, particularly Santa. I mean, yeah. you could say, like, you know, and Santa Claus is coming to town. Is that Santa's origin story? Like he's the same Santa that sent in Rudolph and Frosty and all these others. Okay. Um, like they even kind of carry the same design, but this Santa is completely different. Like this is, I called this an Elseworlds tale. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is this the reboot? Yeah, it's a good, yeah. it's a good. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Andrew Garfield Santa. So I think it would have been, if you were going to have those reindeer, then, you know, but they belong to this other Santa. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember hearing any of them. Glossy and Flossy sound familiar, so maybe that. I want to say I heard them mentioned. Um, the reindeer was actually a pretty big part of the book. Like there was a whole thing. Like he had to go to one of the immortals and ask permission to use them, and it was a whole deal. Like where the immortal didn't want him to use it, and he had to use it at specific times, and that's kind of where the night runs went because he had to use them at night, get them back before daybreak. Uh, yeah, because they had to be back in their country and it was a whole big thing um, and about how many to use and stuff like that. And they just kind of gloss over it a little bit here. Yeah, it's there's a whole chapter, the first journey with the reindeer. OK, yeah. they do mention it's Peter Nook in the special who says you need to bring these reindeer back by dawn, but he's late. 
So now he says, now you're only allowed to take them out once a year. And that's when they decide Christmas Eve. Yeah. And the, with no reason for that. And then it's just, that's when, and that's the only time they yeah. do the word Christmas in the whole special. Yeah. <laughs> like with Santa Claus is coming to town, that they write that in is that's when he and Mrs. Claus get married. They decide to make their only once a year journey. They, they pick the holiest night of the year, Christmas Eve. Yep. Nothing like that here. It's just like, well, the, Christmas Eve is 10 days away. Do that. <laughs> But that's way back at, in the last 10 minutes of the special. They kind of shove in a lot of the Christmas stuff. But Yeah, we skipped over a bunch. <laughs> but first we have another growing up montage. And now all of a sudden Santa's a chubby and plump full bearded mountain man living in what kind of looks like a church. I don't they didn't really show that being built. It was just like, hey, here's a building that we're going to move into in this Laughing Valley because no one else is here. Yeah, that building like I, I wondered about that because uh I wonder because it did look like it looked like Santa was surprised by the building. So I like I was wondering, like, did the immortals help build it for him? And then he was just like, oh, OK, well, I'll just move into here. So it's just like, yeah, you know, things things are just kind of falling into place for Santa. And it definitely looks like a church. Yeah, it looked in the special that they might have even beat him there, beat him to the Laughing Valley. And said like, hey, we built you a place to live. Yeah, here you go. OK, we knew you were going to come here. So. <laughs> They're all seeing, all knowing. <laughs> so, uh, and this is where Blinky enters the picture. We mentioned that the kitten earlier, Nasil sends him a kitty, makes Shiegra jealous. Mm-hmm. And this is the point where they hear a call for help outside his window, and they find this little boy frozen in the snow from the nearby town where they glossed over very quickly that Claws like to go to the nearby town in the Laughing Valley and just read to children and stuff. And this is Weakum. Is Weakum a character in the book? Uh, that I couldn't remember if he was one in the book. I didn't look back up either. Okay, I didn't think so. I think they just well, we need a kid for him to talk to. Yeah, Weakum's just a kid who got lost. Uh, he lives in quote a place for kids who don't have any parents. Uh, and Claus decides to let him stay a while. Yeah, and there are. Um, kids that kind of come in and out of the story okay. um, that stay with him a couple of times. I don't remember names in there, but I do remember like a kid showing up and maybe not even, maybe not even staying with him, but they kind of go in and out of the workshop at different times. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say there are children that he hangs around with or that come and visit him and stuff, but I don't remember that specific name. Um, the one I remember is Bessie, Bessie Blythesome. Oh, you get, yeah. they get a full name in the book. She's like one of the ones that receives the first toy or something. Yeah. Well, Weakum is the first toy recipient. Here he's frozen in the snow and Claus like sets him up, gets him bundled up and warmed by the fire. And Claus just happened to have been carving a model of Blinky. And Weakum, Weakum mentions before he falls asleep, I wish I had a cat like her. And he says, well, get some sleep and maybe tomorrow I'll have a surprise for you. And here is the first toy. And Weakum immediately goes back to his orphanage and shows it off to everyone. And they all come back. We want one. And here's our probably our biggest song from the special. Big surprise. We want to wake up to a big surprise. Big surprise. A wooden cat with yellow green eyes. Did we all like this one? I, you know what? I mean, no. 
honestly. <laughs> I didn't like any of these songs. None no. of these songs. I wanted one to kind of lay, be like, all right, that, that went too bad. But I, there was none of them here. I was very disappointed with the music in this one. Yeah. They're not even catchy. Like, I'm still singing There's That Rabbit from the first Easter Rabbit special. <laughs> um, and I don't think that was a particularly good song, but it was very catchy. These I can't even say that about. No, but that one line about a wooden cat with yellow green eyes, that was an earworm for me for years. <laughs> It'll be June, and I'll just be like, why is that in my head? <laughs> we get a very quick cut back where the council's still kind of like, okay, why are we going to beg immortality for a toy maker? And that just kind of continues the story here. I guess this is where the commercial break came in. Uh, but we mentioned that the man for toys kept him busy. He got help from the Nooks and the Wood Nymphs and the Riles. And why didn't they just... I don't know if elves entered the culture yet by 1902. But but is this also the same in the book where it's just a whole bunch of different kinds of creatures? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here's where very, very quickly Claus is making a doll for a little girl. Uh, and he specifically says, I want to give it to the little girl in the castle from before, like the little fat girl stuff in her face. And here's where he says. <laughs> and that's Bessie Blytheson. Oh, OK. Like, I looked her up while we were talking. Like, she's the Lord of Lords daughter that gets the first doll. So I guess they just don't name her in this special. Yeah. OK. I don't think they even named the, the Lord of Lord. Yeah, that's what the Oz wiki says. That's one letter away from lard, guys. <laughs> but but Claude says, rich or poor, children are children, and I intend to treat them all the same. So they really gloss over that and keep going. After that heavy-handed first act, uh, every kid sitting comfortably on their couches in front of their TVs can rest assured they're going to get toys for Christmas, too. And then we get into... Uh, the big conflict with King Agua. What was that? Mr. Claus, if you make another toy, we're coming for you. Signed, King Agua. So, we go from origin story and Santa learning about the ways of the world to bunch of creatures who can turn invisible decide to steal his toys <laughs> these aguas like i love rankin bass's design for these guys i mean they <laughs> look great. terrifying and they have like these super like teeth that come down and then these arm gauntlets that look like they look like i don't know like some weird mutant thing from mad max or something i mean they look yes so cool <laughs> <laughs> like the king agua reminded me of my pet monster <laughs> just a, a year removed from that could have influenced i don't know probably not <laughs> here tingler is the one who explains agua's influence children and make them do bad things like fighting and disobeying their parents i don't think they need uh, any influence <laughs> <laughs> oh says the teacher <laughs> <laughs> But Claus just says, we're not going to do anything. Toy making is usual. He's not going to be intimidated. And as he's leaving, Tingler's just decided, oh, by the way, they can also turn invisible. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And he says they turn invisible and they do. And uh, that's kind of terrifying. But then they also like it looks like when they turn invisible, they also become incorporeal because they glide through the walls and uh, 
and steal stuff. So it's like, whoa. So not only are they invisible, they can just kind of phase through things. Yes, that was my very next note. They can walk through the walls. So they walk through the walls, steal the toys, grab some rope, and tie up Claws and Shiegra, put them in a random cave with a giant snake and spider. Yeah, that was. I hate snakes. That was kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then my daughter's randomly afraid of spiders, even though she's never seen a big spider in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that scene was kind of interesting. I can't remember if the Agua's actually uh, take Santa like that in the book. Um, mm. I do know that there was a couple years after Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, there was a short story written that was kind of a sequel where he was kidnapped by um, Baum called him Damons, D-A-E-M-O-Ns. And they influence, they're kind of like greed and envy and they influence all these things and they're mad at Santa. So they kidnap him so he can't do Christmas one year. So I'm wondering if that's kind of where that is taken from is that short story. Could be. And now I'm going to get find this short story. I didn't know there was more. Yeah, it's pretty short. And it feels like like a chapter that Baum, you know, was like, my story's too long. I'm going to take this chapter out. And then he published it later. Okay. It it feels like a chapter from the book. And uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think it's just called The Kidnapping of Santa Claus or something. A Kidnapped Santa Claus, yeah. A Kidnapped Santa Claus. No, in the book here, they do kidnap him. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Do they? I couldn't remember that or not. Giant snake and spider? They seized him and carried him on their way to the mountains, thrust him deep in a cavern, rolled many huge rocks against the entrance to prevent his escape. But Claus escapes by shouting. But he spoke the mystic words of the fairies, which always command their friendly aid. Oh. And they came to his rescue and transported him to the Laughing Valley in the twinkling of an eye. Huh. Well, in the special, it's the nooks he calls on. He says, come to me, he nooks of the forest. And they just kind of show up and like, who are you? Yeah, who are you? Why'd you call me? <laughs> so he explains that, no, I'm I'm a friend of Peter Nook, and he gave me your number. <laughs> They're like, cool, let's go. They drive off the, the beasts who go and tell the Aguas like a bunch of henchmen. And you just kind of see the expression on the snake's face. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> right? Yeah, and the snake and spider are not in the book. No? Okay. Um, I mean, in my quick flipping through the pages right now, um, right. I'm not seeing that. But, but we get a few more minutes of this, and it's just over and over again. These Aguas kind of foil Claus's plans. See them yeah. turning invisible and taking the toys right off the sled. Oh, we get to the point where there has been 12 attacks. Yes. And he says, I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to do it by night and alone, which is always a great plan. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do this at home, kids. Uh, Of course, he goes by night and the Aguas surround him and Shiegra comes to his rescue and drives him off. But here, apparently, Ak has been keeping tabs on Claws and... He decides that this is the last straw, and he commands the Aguas to appear. I don't know what kind of other powers Ak has, but even the King Aguas was like, wait, how did you do that? Yeah. Who, yeah. Who are you? Who can summon us? Yeah. <laughs> but Ak says, you shall not harm my friend in any way, and we get a lightning fight. Yeah, he's got like a Stormbreaker axe. and Right? Oh, yeah, that axe. Great yeah. silver axe that shoots lasers and lightning. 
I want that for Christmas. Axe, axe. It's axe, axe. Oh, I. Yeah, I really wanted him to use the. I, I totally like. He pulls out the axe, and it's awesome. I totally wanted him to, you know, bisect an agua or something. You know, because <laughs> like, every time I, every time I watch this, I always think he's about to like throw the axe and. Yeah, the guy's I, that's what I thought was gonna happen. Yeah, and then and he then shoots the laser, and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Lasers out of an axe, kind of awesome. Oh yeah, I really wanted to throw the axe and chop up an agua. Do they chop them up in the book? Because I know we see this scene of the big war between uh, the great Ack and the immortals on the good side of Claws, and then the agua's on the other side, and a dragon shows up, and this three-eyed giant, and of course, there's a flying monkey. Yeah, yeah. Well, and bomb. Yeah, because he does battle with the axe. Um, I don't remember, like, and he may have beheaded a few of the monsters, um, because okay. Baum in those early years was all about beheading, and like in the first Wizard of Oz, uh, the Tin Man like beheaded like a thousand wolves sent by the, <laughs> well. uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty great scene. So like, it kind of reminded me when I was reading the book, I was like, oh yeah, it's like Axe going around beheading monsters because he's awesome, and uh, well. kind of like Nick Chopper did. <laughs> yeah, and this. Um... Like the chapter where this happens is called the Great Battle between Good and Evil, and a lot more of these different immortal creatures come to fight. Um, okay, well, you see a bunch of them, but it's a, like yeah. Nasil shows up and she's got just like a tree branch, waves it, <laughs> like the dragon's breathing fire at her. She just waves the tree branch and waves the fire back into the dragon's face and incinerates it. Yep. Which is great. I mean, here's like one example of the stuff going on. Just one line I'll read. Okay. It says, Woe came upon the sharp talon goblins with the thorns of the rills or riles reach their savage hearts and let their lifeblood sprinkle all the plain. And afterward <laughs> from every drop a thistle grew. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That sounds like bomb. Okay. And that's why thistles exist. Yep. <laughs> And this is why my students did not get into this. <laughs> yeah, well. Like, that just went right over their heads. <laughs> I mean, better than into them, I guess. But Ak finally calls on the, his whole side to charge, and the Aguas all, like, get bug-eyed and run away in fear. And he goes back to Claus and just tells him, The Aguas have perished. They perished? And like, so he murdered uh, Yeah, did they, like, <laughs> they just chase them all down and murder them all, and they cut out the end of that fight? Yeah, it's like, don't you worry about it, Claus. Don't worry your pretty head. <laughs> they perished. And we have still ten minutes to fill, and finally someone at Brank and Bass realizes, oh, crap, we still have a bunch of Christmas things to explain. <laughs> yeah. And this is where they kind of just shove them all in the end. This is where we have the whole reindeer we were talking about earlier come in. We see Tingler mention that they're kind of bounding across the ba- valley, and he mentions, this feels like flying. We get the explanation of... Laughing Valley, because Santa says, oh, now I know why they call it Laughing Valley. And he gives us, ho, 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 very rapid fire, this stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's because the battle in the book comes about halfway through the book. And then every chapter after that is like the first journey with the reindeer, Christmas Eve, how the first stockings were hung by chimneys, the first Christmas tree. (laughs) All of these get chapters? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, the chapters aren't large. They're like two or three pages, probably, but they're... Like I said, it's very episodic. There's two or three seconds here. 
Because we see him make his first stop, and he's just like, door's locked, and Tingler points to the chimney. He's like, okay, and that's it. There's the chimney explanation. Next. Uh, oh, look, <laughs> the children hang their stockings by the fireplace to dry. I'm going to put toys in there. Next. Yep. And like I said, it's kind of like a Cliff Notes version of what the book does. Like, the book kind of, they get to the gist of it in the special, but that's kind of how it happens in the book. Okay. All right, family wakes up, and the kids are just like, oh, we found the toys. And the parents say, oh, it was the good St. Claus. And then the kids just on the spot decide to mispronounce it, uh, Santa Claus. Yeah. For no reason. Uh, I mentioned Peter Nook getting mad that he was late, and that's when they decide on Christmas Eve, which is only 10 days away, and they realize it's not enough time to make toys. So they decide, well, let's go get all the toys the Agua stole. And that's even... Not really adventure. It's just because they mention it's 10 days out and then it's the night before Christmas Eve and Santa's going to bed. And it's just like, I don't know what we're going to do, guys. And then Peter Nook shows up with all the reindeer. Hey, I found the toys. Next. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would have been a cool side story. It's just like, we're going to go find these toys that the Ogwas stole right? from us. And go on a, like, a little adventure there. Yeah, that would have that been kind of cool, but it doesn't. It's, it's kind of solved the same way in the movie. Yeah. And then last we see the Christmas tree, which is retconned as kind of a memorial to Claus with all the toys hanging from it. Yeah. And that he makes himself. Well, he makes himself, but not like he doesn't. He makes his own little memorial. He doesn't say it like Tingler's the one who says, we'll keep doing this. He didn't, like, pull a Jesus and be like, do this in memory of me. <laughs> that would have been weird. In remembrance of me, yeah. <laughs> now, this is this is the point in Act retelling the story to the council that the commander of the Wind Demon's heart grows three sizes. <laughs> and he asks, where is Claus today? And we see the, the old, at, like, throughout this whole special, we've seen the, the older, chubbier Santa, but he still had the blonde beard, the mountain man. Marty Stauffer from Wild America beard. That's a reference. Wow. But uh, <laughs> but this is the first point that we see him with the white beard we all are familiar with. And he's getting ready to die. So yeah. he's like, I'm going to hang these a few toys on this tree so you can all remember how we delivered all the toys to the children. And Tingler's the one who says, we'll decorate it like this every year and we'll never forget you. And then that's the end of Axe Case, and Queen Zerline really quickly adds, Look, y'all, there's only one mantle of immortality, and it's doing no one good sitting around and helping no one. And they take their very quick vote to bestow the mantle of immortality on Claus, which kind of teleports over his sickbed and his deathbed and rests on him like a nice warm blanket. Yeah. Yeah, if I remember correctly, like the book, it was the same thing. Uh, it was roughly the same thing, but it felt more like a cloak. Or uh, like a jacket or something. Oh, it is a cloak. Yeah. Okay. Like in the book, I re if I remember the imagery correctly, and it could be the way I read it, I saw it as more like a cloak, and they took it to him and laid it over him on the bed. Okay. Yeah. That's, the illustration is something like that. All right. Here it's just it's just this shiny blanket of light a that they teleport blob, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, glowy blob. And, of course, I'm watching this years later on a bad daily motion upload, so it's just pixels. But that's really the end of the special. We see Santa Claus thanking Ack, and he ends with the line, For in all this world, there is nothing so beautiful as a happy child. Amen.
Chiegra lets out a happy roar, and that's it. That's how they end this. Yep. Did either of you want to mention anything that was mentioned in the book or anything from the special that we didn't gloss on earlier? Um, I did just want to mention, um, and maybe Mike, I could send you the link and you could put it in any show notes you release or something. Um, sure. Travis Hightower, who you guys may know on Twitter as Bayou Babylon. Oh, yes. Um, on his old blog that fit, called Fit for Dragon Con, it, let's see, he published this in 2013. He did a whole post on this, which some of the stuff I read, I just totally, I said earlier, I totally cribbed for him, from him. About like, how, <laughs> like, I sent you guys the heavy metal video he made of this. Yeah. Yes. He made that. Okay. <laughs> Like, he talks about this as being, like, the most pagan heavy metal Christmas special ever. It really is. That it came out in 1985, like, the height of the satanic panic. I can see this, why this probably didn't catch on (laughs) as as another potential reason. Um, But, anyway, he's got a really funny breakdown of of this special that is um, pretty entertaining to read. Um, ending with a five-minute video where he set some death metal over scenes from <laughs> the special. And Just the Ogle battle. <laughs> um, so. Okay. Pax, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, just to put um, Bomb's Santa in context. So his book, his book came out two years after Wizard of Oz, and then two years after that, he did The Kidnap Santa Claus, which we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And so there may have been like a comic strip or something that he wrote after that. But then in 1909, the fifth Oz book, uh, Baum brings Santa back and uh, Santa gets folded into his Oz world. Um, oh, wow. Baum, Baum had written a lot of fantasy books trying to do something that would catch on like Oz did and nothing really ever did. So in the fifth Oz book, Road to Oz, um, Ozma has a birthday party and everyone's invited. And so a bunch of his other fantasy characters kind of get folded into Oz here. So Santa makes a big appearance. He shows up. He has a few lines. There's actually even a big illustration of him at the birthday party. There. And um, and so you, you get to see him there a little bit. You also see like six or seven other characters for some of his other books. Uh, like Don, Don, is Mary, the, the Gnome King? Gnome King. Uh, there was a Gnome um, King in the Santa Claus book and then a Gnome King that showed up in Oz. I don't. I, think I was going to say, are they the same? They, they have similar names, but the characters are different. Um, the okay. one in the Santa Claus book is more of a kind of like one of the one of the immortals. And uh, he but in the Oz books, he's more of a villain. Um, and he constantly he's come back like three or four times in the books. Uh, his name is Regetto, King of the Gnomes. And he's uh, hmm. more of a villain, kind of a guy, villainous guy. But. But yeah, so 1909, Santa shows up in Road to Oz, and that was the last time Baum did um, any any stories with his version of Santa Claus. Does Santa Claus show up in the Return to Oz movie? I forget. I, 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 I don't I, think so. People told me that he's in the end there, and I I don't know if you saw in Cult Film Club, I did hidden characters in Return to Oz. I could not find him, and I combed that final celebration scene like eight or nine times. I could not find a Santa Claus. All right. I remember hearing it, but then I also remember you guys doing it on Cult Film Club. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Uh, Thank you both for joining me. Uh, And if anyone listening wants to beg you for a little black cat with yellow-green eyes, where can they find you, Brandon? Best place to find me is on Twitter at BrandMed, B-R-A-N-D-M-E-D. 
All right, Pax. Uh, on Twitter, under my name, Paxton Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y. Um, and you can hear me, as you mentioned earlier, on my plethora of podcasts, which... Yes. Uh, I mean, the best place to get me, if you want me, is uh, Twitter, under my name. Well, all right. And I, of course, will link to all of your places in the show notes here. And with that, Council Adjourned, thank you both for taking this long, strange journey with me. The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network. To find more shows like this one, visit ChristmasPodcastNetwork.com. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Jess. And, and we're, we're Hallmark, Hallmark and, and Jess. Jess. <laughs> I feel like we're in a car dealership commercial. <laughs> we swear we won't talk like this during the podcast. There's two things we love most in this world. Hallmark movies and Lacey Chabert. And we're breaking down all of your favorite Hallmark movies like... A Very Merry Mix-Up. Rocky Mountain Christmas. And the All of My Heart series. Tommy, please be my husband. So tune in every Wednesday. Today! Next time on the Advent Calendar House... Merry Christmas, City Slicker! America's favorite fat cat is going home for the holidays. Gadgets, toys, greed, I love it. A Garfield Christmas special.